Hello, and thank you for tuning in. This is Love What I Love, a podcast where we beg our partners to love something we do, whether it be a movie, TV show, or anything in between. We're your hosts, Andy. And Masha. And today we're talking about The Night of the Hunter. Night of the Hunter is a 1955 noir thriller written by James Agee, directed by Charles Lawton, and starring Robert Mitchum, Shelley Winters, and Lillian Gish. It follows Henry Powell, a serial killer who poses as a traveling preacher who attempts to charm an unsuspecting widow in order to find the $10,000 hidden by her late husband. I feel like Robert Mitchum is a name that I should know. I feel like he starred in a lot of things. Oh yeah, a lot of things. He's... um. He was kind of the one big star attached to this movie mm-hmm. in terms of like the cast. He's kind of the way they sold it. So yeah, Robert Mitchum is super famous. I obviously, you know, I know a decent amount about like old Hollywood and stuff, but I'm not one of these like deep divers who know. Like there are certain people I talk to who know like every small actor from the era and all these crazy credits. Mm-hmm. So yeah, like I looked up Robert Mitchum just to see what I knew him from and he had over 125 acting credits in his whole <laughs> career. But I'll be honest, I knew maybe like the three big ones. And that was this one, uh, this movie called Out of the Past, which is an noir movie from the 40s, and then Cape Fear, which we will be doing in the future on this one, which is oh. fucking awesome. So even me, like, I'm, I'm not a huge head of this world, so to some people, Robert Mitchum has, like, fucking been in a thousand movies and a great actor. Right. I know him as these couple of big roles, and that's about it. I really liked the talking uh, of this era, like how actors talked in movies. Oh, yeah. <laughs> It's pretty great. You know, this movie came out in the 50s, but it takes place in the Great Depression. So, it's, right. you know, this is not that different from Greece or something like that, you know, where it's like we're looking back at a different time. That's pretty cool. But it's not a nostalgia film, obviously. It's not It's not about the good old days. It's a very, you know, confined story. Right. But in that sense, yeah. So this movie was based on a book by the same name that came out two years before in 1953, also called Night of the Hunter. And from everything I can see, it was it's very similar. I couldn't actually find like a good comparison of what happens in one versus the other. So I think the story, the general story, is kind of the same in both things, just with some filmic ideas changed. Okay. But um, what was crazy that I never knew that I learned about this though is that this is all based on a real killer who was in America. It's a lot of a lot of it's Whoa. exaggerated for the movie, but. It's based on a guy named Henry Powers. So Henry Powell is the character in the movie. Mm-hmm. So he just changed his name slightly. He kind of did the same thing where he was... He only did it successfully twice before he was caught. But he would put up these ads. These like Lonely Hearts ads. Which was back in the day. Like, you know, you basically put an ad out saying like, I'm looking for, for someone. You know, like it's, oh, it's like the old school way. Of online, like posting on exactly, an app. Exactly, yeah, yeah. That is so funny. So he would go on the apps, you know, in, in the 30s. <laughs> And uh, and then he would meet like widows or, or women looking for companionship, and then he would like fall, you know, pretend to fall in love with them, get married, and then end up like stealing their money and Lord. murdering them and their kids. So he ended up killing two women and I think three kids. Jesus. Total before he got caught, and uh, and then he ended up eventually got hanged, and pretty much very similar to this movie. Oh. So they took that when when writing the book and creating this this serial killer for the movie. Yeah. But in the movie he's uh, committed a lot more atrocities. Right. Uh, they, they never say the exact number, but he says somewhere in the beginning of like how many has it been, Lord? He's like I forget the number. He's like 8, 10, mm-hmm. you know, something like that. Yeah. So this guy, he wasn't like a he wasn't like murder, he didn't murder 10 women. He did it twice and they got caught. Right. Which is horrible, but it you know, it's a movie so you got to make it 
more <laughs> fucked up for the movie version. I gotta say, I did not catch on. I think because the old timey English got to me first, so I was a little confused. But I did not get he was talking to the Lord about how many people he's killed at the yeah. beginning of the movie. Uh, okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I am wondering if the real life murderer had the love hate tattoos on his knuckles. No, that was made up. Oh, okay. Yeah, that was just a filmic, or I mean, it might be in the book. I don't know, mm-hmm. but um, yeah, that's not that wasn't a real life thing, as far as I could tell from my research. Okay, figured I'd ask. I've also I also feel like I've seen those tattoos on. Real Real people and real artists. Oh yeah, it's super popular. It's been. And uh, I didn't know if it was rooted back to this film. Yeah, it's in other movies. I don't know about like people who've done it in real life. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's maybe they know it's from this movie, but it's. I mean, we'll get into it when I go into my history with it. Cool. But, um Yeah, those yeah. the love and hate come up in other places in this, ah, this movie. Interessant. Yeah, and so like I mentioned up top, this was directed by Charles Lawton. And so what's interesting about this guy is he's a British actor who I looked up like he has, you know, 65 credits to his name. So acting his whole life. And this was the only film he's ever made. This is the one time he's ever directed a movie. That's a great film to I know. <laughs> do for <laughs> your one. Um, Dang. It's pretty crazy. So there's a lot of stories. Like A lot of the reasons why I think this movie works and stands out against its contemporaries at the time and why I think it stands up in the future is because of his inexperience, because he came at this with so many crazy, bold ideas that I feel like a practical director probably wouldn't have tried to do mm. because they know how hard it is to do these things. But he he's an actor and a writer, and he's directed some some stage work. So he's done stage directing, but never film directing. Okay. So he kind of went into this with such like a naive inexperience that it, he ended up like really challenging the the DP and the crew to like pull off some shit that like I would just think that if he if this was his third movie, he'd be like, let's not even, I don't even know. No, that's not going to work, <laughs> you know? So I think a lot of what makes this movie unique and crazy is like the bold choices by a first and only time filmmaker mm-hmm. who's kind of throwing it all at the wall because he's like, this is what I want to do. Like, this is how I want to see a movie. You know what I mean? Right. One of the crazy things I, I learned about the way he made it, and again, no experienced filmmaker would have ever done this, but he just didn't know any better. So he didn't like the whole process of filmmaking of, saying action, yelling cut, waiting for everything to reset. Like he felt like it lost momentum of what we were doing. So he would basically have them slate once. They would roll camera, roll sound, slate it. And then he wouldn't yell cut until they ran out of film. Oh. So if, if he wanted to jump in and direct the actors, he would just direct them and then just jump out and be like, all right, go. And he felt like he would get more like, he would not lose the momentum of kind of dealing with the people and be like, he would tell them to do something that would be fresh in their mind and they could do it instead yes. of telling them to be like, do this. And then all of a sudden it's 10 minutes before the lights go back and everything goes. Yeah. And you know, that method burns hell of a lot of money. It's really an inefficient way to make a movie, especially back then when, you know, like every time you, you every second you rolled cost money. Absolutely. So, That's a lot of balls for a first time, he, like major studio director. It's just how we felt comfortable. It was like, cause you know, he's used to dealing with actors and people and like not with equipment so he, wow. just didn't, he was just like i'd rather just not deal with that stuff and do, it, <laughs> do it later so th- that's like one of the examples of what i was talking about of like his inexperience kind of made this movie unique that i don't think someone else would have done yeah there are some techniques that we'll talk about too that i just found very interesting nice i'm glad you brought that up i got a little worried at the beginning though because you know night of the hunter you were like eh, i'm picking a scary one i was like here we go but yeah <laughs> i mean scary in the by 1955 standards, yeah, you know what which I mean? was a little bit of a relief. It was more, uh, you know, 
I like to sometimes react to your episode and maybe pick something that's slightly related to it. And so I found enough ways to connect the good son, <laughs> the themes in that movie with the themes of this movie and just the use of children and all that stuff. So I definitely am riding mm. off the good son's coattails <laughs> a little bit. Speaking of children, this kid. Oh, plays John. Yeah. yeah. What's his history? Was did he was he like the Willy Wonka kid where he just never acted again or? Um, no, he acted again. Uh, this is probably his most notable role. Like, okay. I don't think he ever did. I, I didn't go d- too deep dive on it, but and this wasn't his first movie either. He did another oh, movie before that. Cool. Um, but yeah, those, we'll get into those kids and all that. But those, nice. guys are, those guys are fantastic. Well, I can tell you, I don't know anything about this movie. Yeah, <laughs> like, I kind of figured that was going to yeah, be your history. Night of the Hunter, Black and White. Like, I just got nothing for Never you. in your life. <laughs> Never. And you already answered, you kind of maybe think you know who Robert Mitchell right. is, but not really. <laughs> so we could just jump into what you, how did you uh, come across this film? So this one, uh, it's actually another one of these more recent watches for me. Hmm. So I don't know why I took a thousand and one film classes in college. And I don't know why they never showed us this. I'm actually pretty critical of, of the stupid program that I attended. <laughs> when they call you for money, you're going to be like, actually. Yeah. You shove a night of the hot. Yeah. Your, cur- your curriculum's got a couple holes. It's like we had so much overlap in the classes where I ended up watching so many movies like three, four times over the course of the four years I was there. Where they're just like, you know. like Seriously? Yeah. Where it's like a, it's a different professor would be like, all right, we have to watch, you know, Battleship. They're not talking again. to each other? No, they're not talking to each other. God. So there's just, there was so many instances of movies where I've had to watch them like three, four times over the course of four years. I'm like, yeah, these are classics and good to talk about. But eventually when I come up with gems like these, I'm like, I could, I could come up. I'm not even a teacher and I could come up with, you know, a whole curriculum based on this versus the state of movies at the time and things Mm -hmm. like that. And especially like I took a film noir class and I don't know why this wasn't on the curriculum. Right. But anyway, so yeah, I just, I never saw this one. Um, I'd always heard about it. So well, season up top with the love and hate thing is the most probably most notable and famous example of the love and hate is uh, Radio Rahim and Do the Right Thing. There we go. <laughs> I know. I was, it was bothering me for so long. I didn't want to. Yeah. Okay, great. I w- wanted a bombshell you on the air, <laughs> so I didn't want to tell you. But yeah, so in that movie, he walks around with the yeah. it's like the rings that go across your knuckles. And he even gives pretty much a verbatim speech with a little bit of twists mm. on it as the preacher in this about the love versus hate speech. Um, so I've always, I just, you know, do the right thing was so impactful to me when the first time I saw it. Right. And that's always stuck with me. It's like, I've always remembered Radio Rahim do the right thing, like love and hate the speech. I remembered it perfectly. And then I just remember like one day, somebody, like a film friend of mine, we were just talking about movies and they mentioned like, we were maybe talking about do the right thing. And he's like, yo, have you ever seen Night of the Hunter? That's actually from that. And I was like, oh, that's crazy. Never ended up seeing it. And then... You know, flash forward to a couple of years ago, back when I was living with my brother and sister-in-law, and we would do those movie month nights. Mm -hmm. So my brother actually picked this as his movie month movie. He had this crazy art professor who loved all these nuts old movies, and he like would show them to the class all the time. Sweet. Uh, The guy seemed fucking awesome. But it was always, you know, he was one of those like pure like Hollywood is trash. I hate everything Hollywood. Like only like obscure ballsy gutsy like outside the box movies. usually that's scary like oh no yeah, yeah. <laughs> but so night of the hunters like that because that's it's cool. so on hollywood it's a fucking you know it's like a renegade movie mm. so he watched out with that with his like art teacher and then he came back and showed it to us so i just saw it for the first time like two three years ago and this is actually my second time seeing it and then i just remember being like as soon as he said it was it i was like oh the movie with the love and hate so i was already on board and then i was just blown away yeah, I think the story is pretty fucking awesome, but 
the reason I love film noir movies is I feel like they all kind of have pretty cool, like complex stories like this of like mystery and stealing money and deception and all that. So the story was awesome, but for this, it was just everything from the cinematography to really the lighting and just how stark and different this looked from anything else. Mm -hmm. And then also kind of the grittiness of the subject matter for 1955. Like I think this movie is way ahead of its time in terms of kind of like being a precursor to the movies we got in the seventies where, you know, this was still made with the production code in mind. So you couldn't, you didn't rate movies. You just always have to follow the code. And mm -hmm. so you couldn't really show a lot of obscene shit. Not there's a lot of obscene stuff in this movie, but like, you know, think about it, this is pre psycho pre the first toilet, mm. you know? So we had horror movies, but it was always a little bit more schlocky. And this one just seems a little bit more like gritty and real and like could actually happen and right. doesn't shy away from, you know, showing you things like dead bodies and, you know, and talking about talking about, yeah, talking about sex and talking about, you know, showing a quote unquote man of God in this way. Like yes. all this, like questioning religion, questioning really, and just questioning like traditional <laughs> values. Cause yep. I think this movie could be taken a lot of ways. And that's what I'm very excited to talk to you about of like how you perceive what the story is about. Yep. But um, for me, like questioning traditions is kind of one of the big things that happens is yeah. what the movie's about absolutely and just how you automatically trust certain people in certain roles and certain positions without yeah. questioning you know their actual their actions and yes. observate like observe how they're acting like, yeah and then also like dwelling into like the reasons for someone's actions and the, like the varying degrees of like you know it's about good and evil which right is bit of hyperbole like good and evil it's really just like you know but it's like <laughs> the film does just to show us like sometimes you know you can do bad things for a good reason and there still be consequences or but if you do them for a bad reason there could be more consequences it's like yeah. it's very interesting kind of showing that whole that whole idea of it all but yeah so i just really saw it two three years ago and i've just been like dying to see it again I have it on DVD because I borrowed it from a friend of mine and I still have it. And I oh. feel terrible because I hate when people take my DVDs Dang. and not return them. So I'm just putting it out there. <laughs> Govinda, if you're listening, still got your DVD. I didn't forget. I will return it. <laughs> uh, I still I remember every DVD I've ever lent out. And like so many people just don't give a fuck. You know, they're like, oh, let yeah. me borrow that. And then it just goes forever. So like, like I still remember who has like my Dave Chappelle stand-up DVD. That is so funny. That I lent out in like 2010. You are way too nice because I would never lent out my DVDs. Uh, I, just, I just couldn't trust people. <laughs> uh, I just love to be like, yo, you got to see this. You know what I mean? Like, that's... That's why this whole podcast exists because I just can't <laughs> stop telling people to go watch movies. Oh, uh, that's awesome. Uh, but yeah, so I just, I like immediately just fell in love with Night of the Hunter right off the bat from there and been just dying to revisit it. And it was a cool ass movie to see for a second time because there's so many little mysteries to the plot. Yes. This time I get to was watch it like from the big picture angle yeah. as opposed to like wondering what's going to happen next, you know? Cool. I'm excited to talk about it because I have, I just have a lot of questions. Yeah. <laughs> so. Awesome. Yeah. And I have, I have a lot about just like the style in which the movie was made. Like there's not too many like great behind the scenes like stories. It was really just like, they made the sweet movie mm -hmm. but i thought the inspiration behind just like the art choices were really cool and so like as we go along i'm gonna do my best to try and pick up of like why they kind of decided to show things the way they do right and i feel like you're gonna sprinkle this in later but i'm very curious with all that you've described about sort of how they've challenged certain roles of people like pastors and all the religion and all this stuff how yeah. it was perceived and by you know the public um, or critics or anything For like sure. that during the time. Actually, I'll just uh, share some of that right now. So, 
the movie did have production code problems when it when it was submitted for the production code association to mm-hmm. approve it. I, or actually, I guess it was the script uh, portion of it. They definitely had some problems with it, mostly with the fact that it was portraying a man of God as a bad guy. Mm-hmm. They were just like, you can't like this is too blasphemous. Like we, you know, like we can't have you can't have you portraying the church that way and this and that. So one of their main stipulations that they had to do in the movie was they had to make it like very clear that at no point in the movie is it said that he's actually a preacher. If he was like an ordained priest who turned bad, they were mm-hmm. like, we can't do that. Like he has to be a criminal who is posing as a man of God and they have to make it that clear. So I don't know what the book was like. Maybe in the book, he was actually a preacher who turned evil, which right. actually is pretty interesting. But yeah, they had to make it. They were like, it has to be very clear that this is not really a man of God. That is so funny because that's actually my one question. Was he actually a preacher or was he just so delusional that he just considered himself one yeah. because of all his thoughts and beliefs and everything? So like that. I've, yeah, that, I've always kind of took it as he wasn't. But even though that they had the stipulation, I do think the movie still kind of plays it in a way where you don't really know. Yeah. Because no one ever says he isn't one either. Like they, they suspect him. Like a lot of people go like, I, you know. Like, Rachel says it towards the end of the film, like, I don't think he's a preacher either, you know? Like, mm-hmm. So, like, people say that, but it's never, like, a thing in in the story where it's like, oh, and we found the priest, he killed yeah. his clothes he took. You know, even like, they don't the, go that far. Even the judge in the courtroom, you know, doesn't deny that he's a preacher. Exactly. It's more of a shame on you, yeah, you know? Yeah. So, I really had no idea there, so good to know. So, yeah, that was their biggest problem with um, the production code, but eventually they, they ended up approving the the overall version Hmm. and then as far as the overall reception this movie actually didn't do well at all um i couldn't find an overall box office because back then they just didn't keep the records unless unless it was a hit if it wasn't a hit they didn't really like keep track you know but uh yeah it was a critical failure commercial failure not failure just mixed i would say actually some people did like it but a lot of critics were just like i think it was just too weird for people at the time like if you read a lot of the reviews at the time they were just like yeah i mean the story's interesting but he often like it, they used a lot of f- fancy words to say it was like too artsy. Like it was just like you know it's because uh, noirs that is are like so interesting because I don't consider this art. Really interesting. <laughs> I, I want to get into it when we go into, but it's, I think it's pretty. It's pretty out there. There are certain shots and scenes, yeah. and I'm just thinking of like juxtaposing it against other movies that have similar storylines. I think that's where I'm losing because I can't really do that. Like I don't have your like knowledge yeah. of noir and like this like, time period. I love noir, and and they always are shot very, but they're always like very just like grounded and realistic, and you don't have mm. things like floating children heads to open a movie and right. shit like that. You know, so. It wasn't very, that well received, that well liked, or anything. And then it really was just a cult film for a while. And then it really wasn't until the seventies when, like, the new age of Hollywood came in, where all those filmmakers were honestly always cite this in interviews of like movies that inspired them. Wow! Because they were kids in the fifties, you know, cool. the Martin Scorsese's, the Coppolas, uh, all the way down to like this is Guillermo del Toro's favorite movie. Um, and then even David Gordon Green, the guy who just directed the new Halloween mm-hmm. and who's directing the next two, like he, it's his all time favorite movie. Like they all talk about just like seeing this as a young age, like made him fall in love with like what you could do with film. Mm. And I see it because like this, this movie to me is such a precursor to, to the seventies. Like it's insane. So, and, and then also a lot more film schools started coming out in the seventies, film criticism, things like that really expanded a lot more during that era. So that's when people went back and reevaluated it. And then once the 70s came it was all of a sudden everyone was like we love this movie and then by 1992 the u.s uh library of congress nice uh, put it in the national film registry for being culturally historically or aesthetically significant right next to greece yeah 
Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but it was the commercial failure and all that uh, is the reason why Charles Lott never directed again. He said it was just, it was like too, it like crushed him. <sighs> like he worked so hard on it and then he was just like, I, I, like, I can't go through that again. Aww. And he said like, he even said after, he's like, I, it was a very fun experience, but I'd rather go back to doing stage work. He's like, I'm used to being able to change stuff every night, like see what works, see what doesn't work, like do things on the fly. And he's like, in the film, it's like, once you're done, it's done. And he's right. like, it's insane to me. Like, so he, he loved it. And by all accounts, because of his inexperience and his experience, his, well, his experience as an actor and his inexperience as a director, I think universally every actor on this film all said it was their favorite movie mm. they've ever worked on and the of best course. director they've ever worked with. Because he talked to them like people, like, you know, he didn't especially you know the old hollywoods it's fun to glamorize it but there's usually when you dig a little deep it tends to be pretty like abusive and shitty and mm. you know like i love hitchcock but like he's not a saint you know like so sometimes when i watch these old movies especially with kids and stuff i get a little worried of like man like you know i'm watching like it's a wonderful life and the kids you know the the ice breaks and the kids swimming in the ice and i'm like man they just threw that kid in the ice uh. like there's no wasn't the good son there was no you know like there was no on-set medics they just right. said, Fuck it, throw the kid in <laughs> so i get a little worried sometimes but then by all accounts like charles lawton was super kind and nice to every like they all were just like yeah that was the best everybody from robert mitchum down to like lillian gish everybody was just like, the kid they all liked them that's good. So it seemed to be a, a pretty awesome experience. And I didn't actually look up when Robert Lawton died. So I don't know if he ever got to see the success. Well, hopefully. Yeah. So that was my little detour. But let's just jump into a, spo- a non-spoiler section. So you claim this uh, isn't that artsy of a movie. But <laughs> we open up with some floating heads. Yeah. A woman who, I mean, you later find out it's Rachel from the end of the movie. But at first, it's just a woman. You don't know who it is. Yeah, you have no idea. And she's kind of just speaking to these children. I don't remember exactly what she says, but some kind of... Aren't, uh, aren't they singing a song? It starts off with them singing a song, but then she's like, gather around children. And she tells some kind of like Bible-ish story. Like, have yeah. I ever told you the tale of so-and-so and so-and-so? But I think right off the bat, it just... A, sets the tone that this is going to be a little bit different. Like, you know, it's not... Most crime movies about trying to take money from your oh, dead widow don't start with like floating kids and and bible scripture and shit yes like that. because this was the first time i was watching it i think i just got overwhelmed with like trying to figure out what was going on yeah that i was just like what is happening you know <laughs> the floating heads and then you it kind of goes straight from there to like an image of kids discovering a dead, a dead woman yeah. so i just didn't know what was going no, on i could see it's it's, it can be a, a lot. There were times where I was like, oh, we should have put the subtitles on. I know we said that for other movies, but this one especially. Yeah, we should have for sure. Yeah, I think I think from now on, we, we have a pre-1960 rule of putting <laughs> subtitles on. And uh, yeah, so we, we see that dead body, and then that brings us right to the preacher. So the idea there is that we're seeing him basically leaving town after his latest victim. Yes. So I know you said you didn't really get that from the beginning because it went so fast. Now that we finished the movie, I totally get that. Like I, I revisited the beginning in my head and I was like, oh, that's what that was. Okay, yeah. Because it was kind of hard to connect it. I'll be honest. It's this opening part is probably, in my opinion, the clunkiest part of the movie. Mm-hmm. I I imagine this was probably in the book because it seems like something you would ever happen in a book. Like it would open with the preacher roading into town and having a, like an intimate discussion with God. Yes. Where you slowly learn that he's like an evil person. But this, like, it just happens so fast. And like his first line of dialogue is just like, how many has it been, Lord? Like eight, ten? Yes. You know, and like, I don't know. Maybe it would have been a little bit cooler to just 
play with it a little bit to make us think he's a real preacher. Uh-huh. Like, not, not for a long time. Like, I still think he should get arrested pretty quickly. Right. But, I don't know. To me, it's like, it just seems like they're really dumping a lot of exposition on us. And he doesn't really talk to God at other points in the movie either. He doesn't. So, I just think there could have been, maybe if they cut up that exposition... Because basically what happens is he gets arrested in the next town he goes to because he has a stolen car. Right. And I think between his trial and then him being in jail talking to um, Ben, I think his name is? I don't remember his name. Peter Graves. Okay, mm-hmm. yeah, Ben. I think they could have just split up his backstory and exposition in there. Yes. You know what I mean? I agree. Because honestly, I thought, because I couldn't understand the English, (laughs) that he was going to town to solve this murder, like whoever. Oh, that's Like, I was completely off. I was just so thrown, (laughs) you know? Um, I eventually got it, but that's that's where I was at. And I got to say, too, just in general, it's easy to forget how powerful music can be, but just... Just those, I don't know, those musical stings yeah, like, yeah. really make you feel scared. Or Oh, it's so overwhelming. Every time I come back to him, it's just like... Yes. <laughs> yeah, like it's not subtle, but like it's just like this is... Because yeah. I like it because he's like... I mean, I don't know. I, I think he's a pretty scary villain. Like, especially mm-hmm. for the time. Like, this guy's like a whirlwind coming to town. Like, yeah. he's just... They do a great job of visually making him just like a presence on screen of mm-hmm. like something to be scared of. Yeah. And I love the way he speaks. Oh, like it's yeah. like singing. It's, it's like, weird. Yeah, he's a very like it's like a southern charm. You know, it kinda can take you it kinda it kinda like can take you off your, your feet a little bit, you know? Yeah. Like he's, he's good at sweet talking to you but getting you to do what he wants. Yeah. It's funny the director kind of he loved Robert Mitchum, he was a huge fan. Like, you know, they they got along for Mostly got along, but like towards the end, the director started saying that like Robert Mitchum is a lot, a lot like this character where you know he's such a sweet charmer and this and that, oh, but like no. before you realize it, like you're doing exactly what like not in a bad way, but like he always gets his way, but he gets it with like a smile and like no one ever realizes it, oh. and so he's just like man, like I, I forget, yeah, like that's like, crazy, yeah, it's pretty, pretty <laughs> cool. And like I said earlier with the Robert Mitchum casting, that's basically how they got funding. So mm. Robert Lawton actually messed with the idea of playing the role himself because he's an actor and then his producing partner basically just told him like i'm sorry you're just not especially because he's british he's like in america you're just not a name like that like no one's gonna give us funding if it's you but if we get someone famous like robert mitchum it's over and then so robert mitchum signed on and then everybody all of a sudden the studio's like fuck yeah get this guy going yeah yeah he's he's fantastic i think that's a tell that he doesn't have a fragile ego for his producing partner to be like, yeah, you should get someone else to star in this film yeah, and be cool with that. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think, I think he just knew the way the system worked. Like, oh, you know, you're cool. not, you know, this is probably going to be the one shot. He knows, like, you know, no one was clamoring for him to direct a movie. It's like, you know, mm-hmm. he, he had to like kind of fight to get to get this production going. Yeah. What's crazy too about the script is so the guy who originally James Agee, the like the writer. He adapted the book, but his yeah, the script he ended in was two hundred and ninety-three pages. Damn. And it was actually Charles Layton who like whittled it down to the shooting script. They asked him if he wanted any writing credit and he just said, Nah, like I'm good. I'm cool. So James Agee's like the writer, even though he wrote like a bloated three hundred page, like just something that you couldn't film. Like it's just yeah. like I can't we're no one's making a three a three. <laughs> we're not hour. asking for another book. Yeah, we're asking yeah, for exactly. a movie script. <laughs> so from all from just from all accounts, like Charles Latin just like put everything into this like he really like gave a fuck like from Mm -hmm. everything from the performances down to you know like the fact that he was willing to write the script and what's also cool is so the dp his name is stanley cortez and he was really 
the technical guy behind all this that like helped Lawton kind of figure it all out. Mm-hmm. So like right away when they met, they became like instant friends. And Cortez held like a little mini film school for Lawton before they started, where they they got like a house for the weekend and he brought all his gear in and just taught him like what what different lenses do and like the effect that they have by putting them on the camera and the way you would want to light certain things. And he basically gave him like a little film school. And then Cortez said in back like. Like I said, because this guy was coming from it from not a filmmaking perspective, he was like, I ended up learning so much because this guy challenged me by just like asking me to do shit that I've never been asked to do, like lighting wise and filming and angles. That's awesome. And he could tell that this guy was like a huge fan of film. He just doesn't have the technical prowess. Mm-hmm. So like it, that went down all the way from like it went up to selecting his crew where he was like he, he wanted everyone on set to like not make the director feel inexperienced and like stupid. So it was he felt very like protective of him and all Aww. that so it was a it was a very cool experience where i feel like everyone just like learned from each other <sighs> that but, sounds like an awesome partnership yeah like yeah. that's how a, the relationship between a director and a dp should be exactly. like very collaborative and learning from each other yeah, that sounds yeah. awesome and like challenging each other but not like in a crazy demanding way where yeah it's like, i need you to do this and it's like fuck it's impossible you know it's more like yo i saw this movie in the 20s where they kind of did this with the cat? Can we do that? And you'll be like, fuck, no one's done that since the 20s. All right, let's do it. <laughs> you know, it's fucking sweet. All right, so yeah, back to the plot. It's so funny here. I'm looking at my notes and I wrote down, you've got to explain to me the lounge girl scene. But now in hindsight, I completely understand what had happened there where we see the preacher yeah. go to this... I guess it's sort of like a cabaret yeah. show. If this movie was a, was remade, it would be a strip club. Right. But yeah, yeah. Which, again, I just am amazed by the fact that men used to go to like a movie theater. Like, be that close to each other. Yeah. And get turned on. I. It was a very repressed time. You, know, you couldn't. <laughs> it's so gross. You know, it's like, that's, that's the best you could do. It's like, oh, God. Um, get my jollies off downtown at the, at the cabaret pilot. Yeah. <laughs> but I think that Robert Mitchum did such a great, he seemed repressed. Oh, you yeah. You know, like he had these like weird, it was kind of like a psycho moment where you see his uh, fist clenching up yep. where he is trying to... S- to me, it came across like he's trying to deny that he actually likes what he sees. Oh, of course. But then, you know, of course, he ends up acting on his feelings to, like, you know, sort of punish this woman. Yeah, <laughs> and film's a visual medium, so his switchblade is yes. his dick. So yep, yep. He, he's sitting there repressed with his, you know, like you just said, with his fist clenched, talking about, like, how much he hates this kind of behavior in his woman, but then all of a sudden throw his coat pocket... The, the knife just pops out. Yeah. It's supposed to be an erection, you know. So, yeah, he definitely has some kind of weird attitudes towards sex. And we'll learn about it later, too, when, when he gets married. Yeah. But... um, I y- thought that was a powerful Yeah, scene. so this is just him in town where he eventually gets arrested, like we said earlier, for driving a stolen car. But while that's happening, we also meet another set of characters. Two young kids, John and Poyle. I can't, I can't, Pearl. Oh, okay. I was like, Poyle? Who's Poyle? <laughs> she can't. Jesus. I always try to do an impression of her because she can't, like, say her R's like a little kid. So pa- Poyle? Yeah, I'm Poyle. <laughs> yeah, it's like, I'll, I'll pop one in right here. You're just fooling. My name's Pearl. And then they're kind of just hanging out, and then we see who we learn is their father kind of rushing up to them with wad of cash mm-hmm. we learned is ten thousand dollars <laughs> could have used a little more backstory here but yeah this guy just didn't get he had like five minutes I, that was so funny like the, like the cops were like a block behind them like they were so close <laughs> the and sirens y- were so yeah. loud and so this guy he's just immediately so he hides the money in in pearl's doll and he basically tells 
both kids, but really his son, like, yo, I'm going away. You got to take care of your take care of your little sister and don't ever tell anybody where this money's hidden. Not even it. your mother. Yeah. Which and I it, thought was an interesting request. It was hilarious. At first, well, I remember the first time I watched this, I thought it was just like old timey misogyny where like he tells his like eight year old son and his son's like, not even ma. And he's like, come on, you, you know, you got more common sense than her. And like, <laughs> which was like, hilarious. you know, I'm just like. Not hilarious, but you know what I mean. Just <laughs> like that old timey, like no, of course you're a you're an eight year old man, yeah. so you have more sense yeah. than any woman. Yeah, you're the man of the house, you know. But the more we watch their mother, I'm like, yeah, that was a good call. <laughs> like that lady has no sense. Absolutely at all. none. She has no sense of danger. Has no sense of awareness. Has no common sense. <laughs> like I don't even know how she like gets through a day. She seems so stupid. Right. So in this case, like now that once you see the whole movie, you're like, yeah, yeah good call guy. <laughs> like, like that wasn't yeah. just him being like, yeah, all women are dumb. Give it to the boy. <laughs> I hate, just... I hate to say it, but I think Pearl takes after her mother. <laughs> yeah, I, know. I do. But yeah, that's, that's just crazy. The fucking cops grab him and then basically try to kill him right there in front of his kids. Yeah. Uh, but there was no bullets in the gun. So they take him in. You still didn't know who the preacher was, so what did what I didn't know who here? the preacher was. I thought we were in the same town that the other dead body was in. Uh-huh. I just there was no separation between these yeah, moments, yeah. so I had no idea what was going you on. Thought, for all you <laughs> knew, the the dad killed that lady. Yeah, you know? exactly. Like I didn't know we were in a completely separate setting. But yeah, he gets ar- <laughs> yeah he gets arrested, and we learn that he was robbing a bank and ended up killing two people while doing that. Yeah. And I looked it up just because I was curious, so I used a inflation calendar to see how much ten grand would be worth. Oh, I like that. So if that man had brought 10 grand home today, it would be just over $97,000. So almost $100,000. That's a lot. So almost 10 times the amount. Yeah. So just like almost $100,000. That's a game changer. And then this is also the Great Depression. So it was like that was a real game changer. Dang. Well, he had, I mean, at least he had an explanation, you know, he didn't want, he he was tired of seeing kids starving and all this stuff. He, he had a lot, to, he had a lot of time to express why he, he robbed the bank. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I thought, I thought it, it's very interesting too, to start the movie this way where yeah. you have him and Powell both basically getting taken down for crimes, but they were crimes committed for drastically different reasons. Like Powell's doing it just for his own greed and insanity like he wants money for himself mm-hmm. and ben is also committed a crime but it was for his family and you know so it's like it's just cool where like they're both gonna get punished for this but you're seeing the different reasons why somebody would go down that route of, yeah like, they're both doing quote-unquote evil but for different reasons and we look at it differently because of that yeah and i thought it was very interesting you know their one scene in the prison where yep. you realize they're sort they're prison mates and you see the preacher trying to get some information about where he hid the muddy while Ben is sleeping. Yeah. <laughs> and that's where it finally clicked for me like a hundred percent that this guy is not a guy you should trust. Yeah. So even the fact like that I, he I, had a stolen car, you were still like Well, I didn't understand that he like I just didn't know. I was like, is he a preacher? Like what yeah. I was just still scoping things out. Got but it, like here is where I was like, all right, 100%. Yeah, yeah. This guy's not one to trust. <laughs> um, I did not know that they were going to actually hang Ben, though. Yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> I thought it was interesting how they positioned that, you know, that we don't see the death. Yep. But we know it happened. Yeah. The main catalyst for the choice of the way they shot this movie is Charles Lawton wanted to make it almost see the whole movie through the eyes of children and the way children remember things. So even though the whole movie is not from the perspective of John and Pearl, he still wanted it to be 
like everything's a little bit exaggerated because from his perspective, that's how you remember stuff as a kid. Mm -hmm. So it's why at night the shadows are so so black and so sharp and jagged and are shaped like things because i don't know if you've had that but as a kid like i remember just like I, I still remember to this day like the way my door if you didn't close it all the way and then like the triangle shape of the shadow made on the floor when i was like under five years old i thought that was like a witch's hat uh -huh. you know so it's like things like that just get into your imagination so I like that even, like you just said, with this hanging, we're not actually seeing the body hang, but we're watching it like on the kids' faces play out. Yeah. And the most prominent thing that ends up coming through is this song that the neighborhood kids are singing about. It's like a it's like a friendly tune about hang lynching somebody. Yeah. And then... How morbid. Yeah. <laughs> and then that goes right from there. So honestly, it's one of the most chilling moments of the movie to me is when they're walking away and Pearl is singing the same song. Yeah. Because she's too young to even grasp what's going on. Like, she, she's, she knows her daddy died, but like... I don't think she really understood like what's happening here. Hang, hang, hung. See if the hangman done. Hung, hang, hang. See the rabbits wing. Hang, 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 hang. Hang, 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 hang. Hang, hang, hang. Hang, hang, hang. You better not sing that song. Why? Because you're too little. I don't think she really loved her dad. Yeah, I don't think yeah. <laughs> They really tried to go the route of, like, the two, because of their slight difference in ages, like, Pearl really represents a true naivete of, like, being a young kid who you're almost helpless where, like, you're learning what's around you mm -hmm. and you're not, you're still kind of gaining your sense of, like, wrong versus right and who to trust. Yes. And then John's kind of that other end where you're, like, growing up too fast because you don't get to be a kid because shit is just real 24-7 right. for you, like... Like, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know about you, but I, I even wrote that in my notes. I'm like, John's one of the most cold-blooded gangsters in cinema history, man. This kid <laughs> is like... Yeah, I could see him on the wire, man. Like he don't snitch for Aww. nobody. Like, like this kid, this kid can't be shook, and I love it. <laughs> He's so fucking gangster. You ain't my dad. You'll never be my dad. I mean, that kid's also. I feel like once you give a kid something to look after, like responsibilities, like he's responsible for his sister. You Especially know? in the thirties, like you know, he was he's like five years away from working for the rest of his life anyway. So yeah. it's like, like you know, it's that whole man of the house shit was real. Like it's like, oh, your father's dead now. You got to take care of your crazy yeah. wife and your dumb sister. The way he walks around the neighborhood, he checks in with Birdie, who clearly has a drinking problem. Yeah, yeah. Like he's just forced to grow up he's yeah. basically a, an adult in a kid's body it's like seemed. he literally stops by birdies for coffee yeah and then and then he's like he finishes his cup he's like oh, i gotta go you gotta check on pearl like you know like i was just like yo this kid man i've never seen a kid that young drink coffee like so naturally too like he didn't even drink it like a kid like he like he like held that cup like oh what a day <laughs> yeah uh, the, Look the, the one the one relief i have is my cup of coffee before back to the grind yeah, like <laughs> looking out onto the water like so gangster. i loved uh, when yeah, birdie was was like let me sweeten this up a little bit oh yo i didn't hate birdie's life it's pretty gangster <laughs> like just just living on the water just getting drunk all day just like making friends you know? yeah yeah it's not too bad <laughs> <laughs> i've got to say the mom the actress who plays the mom i thought brie lawson looked a lot like her oh really yeah i could see that yeah yeah, I Shelley Winters. Mm -hmm. I don't know too much about her, to be honest. Okay, well, she played this role very well in a way that made me just furious. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I get it. Like, she basically... Like, the film doesn't, like, like harp on it too much, but I think she's basically just, like, emotionally broken and mm. never... But, like, never addresses it. It's like in that old-timey way where she just, like, shuts down. Right. And, like, 
maybe for grasps onto whatever she can grasp onto. I guess so because if I take into account what you just said about this sort of being shown from the kid's perspective, parents in general, I guess, try and hide you know those emotional challenges from their kids. Like yeah. they're not really crying in front of their kids if they can help it. So maybe that's what that is here. Like we don't see it, and we kind of see her like, man, she doesn't really care that her husband died because she's not crying in front of her kids exactly. and having the, that emotional trauma in front of them. I think so. Yeah. Like from my perspective, I think she's just freaked out about finances. I mean, all she has is this shitty job at this like ice cream parlor <laughs> with the fucking craziest couple of all time. I hate them. And, or uh, sorry, I hate the woman who runs that <laughs> shop. The husband. It's pretty cool. You hate, you, you hate mother? <laughs> oh my god! The era where husbands call their wives mother yep. can never get uh, over it. So funny. Well, mother, why don't you come over here? <laughs> Jesus. It's even weirder was because I don't even think that they're called the spoons. That's what because that's the name of the place that they own. Mm-hmm. So the spoons, like I don't even think they had kids because from what I could tell with the mother thing, it's usually like. It comes from like you have kids and so your kids are calling the mother. So oh, then to it's just keep like, it consistent? Yeah, it's just like, you know, like, you know, go tell your mother. It's like, mother, you know, so it's fucking weird. But I get it. <laughs> but like when you don't even have kids, it's like, then why are you calling your wife mother? <laughs> uh, it's better than Ron- Ronald Reagan's mommy. <laughs> Ooh. Well, well, mommy. <laughs> <laughs> it was so gross. I can't believe that. Yeah. Ronald Reagan called Nancy mommy, guys. It's fucking gross. Oh, God. True story. What I was going to say, and this was a random scene and a random thought, so I'm sorry, but I think there's a quick scene here when John is on his way to visit Birdie where everyone's like waving at the ships. Yeah. Coming in, and it reminded me of John that John Mulaney skit. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Where people used to wave at ships. Like that was just something you did. You would go down and just... I was like, yeah, pretty, pretty yeah. accurate. Yeah, you have to get you have to get excitement somewhere. <laughs> and he was so the John was so excited by it too. And he's like, he ah, was. I got the wave back. <laughs> but yeah, so it just seems like it's you know th- these these kids are just living their lives you know after that horrible thing that happened. But it doesn't seem like anything's too bad. Um, and then we get one sweet striking scene of John and Pearl in their bedroom. You know, John's telling Pearl a story, and then all of a sudden we get that giant silhouette. Now, this was cool. So, yeah, when I was talking about the style that Lawton was trying to go for was he basically, this movie is a giant love letter to silent cinema. The style that always gets attributed is called like the German Expressionist because in the 20s and 30s, German silent films were some of the most copied films out there just because they were so fucking insane looking like they just looked amazing mm-hmm. the most famous one in this one anybody who's taken a film class has seen this is the uh, cabinet of dr caligari it's an old 20s movie very gothic and basically the style is tim burton drawing these for his batman 2 where everything's gothic so everything is like kind of looks like cathedrals and churches and harsh shadows and and sharp like shadows always have like sharp edges and are a lot blacker than you than you probably would normally think and it just kind of evokes america kind of started using it when we made our dracula movies and so that style that started in germany came into america and was kind of used in our horror movies a lot Mm -hmm. and then it kind of died because once dialogue kind of and sound came in we weren't was it as prevalent to have to make the most visually striking movie of all time in a silent era? That's all you had was just striking visuals. So like it kind of died out a little bit. So, you know, that was the twenties. Now this is 30 years later. So this was Lawton kind of like given a love letter to the movies he grew up with. And so that's why this movie is filled with like, none of the sets look that realistic. They all look in my opinion, just very 
I think like gothic and almost like church-like mm-hmm. and why you get things like this giant shadow of Powell coming in and everything's always in silhouette. And so it's just kind of him giving his love letter to this era of movie making that like died. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So this is in a weird way, just kind of like the way we like always homage the 80s now this was him like homaging the 20s and just being like <laughs> i want to make a modern like sound silent film you wow know what I mean? that's cool yeah. i've got to say this was probably one of the scariest moments in the movie for me even though i knew it was probably coming because it sort of lurks on and you can kind of feel like yeah. something scary is going to happen but it still got me but even that and it, but it's that it's that kid perspective again where it's like they're not in any immediate danger it's like, at that point, they don't even know who this guy is. He yeah. could just be walking by the house. But it was because of the way the shadows came in the room that yes. they sensed, like, this is evil and dangerous. Like, this is a scary guy. Yeah. Well, they. Yeah. You're being nice. John. <laughs> Pearl doesn't know what Freaking the hell's going Pearl. on. Freaking Pearl. I'm sorry. I'm letting my emotions come out too soon. <laughs> but, yeah, so Powell basically comes to town because he, he got that little bit of information from Ben before he died that there's 10 grand, hit, you know, hidden somewhere. Yep. And he just immediately goes to Spoons and starts sweet-talking the wife, Will. I think her name is Willa? Willa? Yeah. Th- their mom. Just sweet talking their mom and every, everyone that she works with that falls in love with them immediately. The Yeah, everyone's like, you've been a widow for too long. Yeah, yeah. Letting a new man into your life even though your husband died three days ago. <laughs> I know. But Jesus every, Christ. I mean, it was that, you know, the, they had that perspective of like, oh, you're going to be a spinster. Like, if you, if you if you make it to 30 and you don't have someone, you're going to be alone and old forever. Yeah, and just the fact that you just... I had I had to put I have to put myself in the times here. Yeah. I have to because I was just getting too furious about them being like, "You need a man. You need a man." Uh, <laughs> it was a depression. You know, I know. Was, I know. Rough. Yeah. But just how quickly everyone just comes to fall in love with this guy, and this is where his charm really comes into play because he's talking to everyone in the parlor, and everyone's like, "Yo." those tattoos love and hate yeah. that's weird but he just wins them over with the story yeah with the love versus hate speech yeah, yeah that's awesome and that's the one i said that ended up being and do the right thing so yeah. i just think to to show like fucking how sweet it is I, I think we should just play them both real quick back to back and just let it go would you like me to tell you the little story of right hand left hand the story of good and evil h-a-t-e it was with this left hand that old brother Cain struck the blow that laid his brother low. L-O-V-E. You see these fingers, dear hearts, these fingers has veins that run straight to the soul of man. The right hand, friends, the hand of love. Now watch and I'll show you the story of life. These fingers, dear hearts, is always a warring and a tugging, one again to other. Now watch them. Old brother left hand, left hand hates a fighting. And it looks like love's a goner. But wait a minute. Wait a minute. Hot dog loves a winning. Yes, sirree. It's love that won. And old left hand hate is down for the count. Let me tell you the story of right hand, left hand. It's a tale of good and evil. Hey. It was with this hand that Cain iced his brother. Love. These five fingers, they go straight to the soul of man. The right hand, the hand of love. The story of life is this. Static. 
one hand is always fighting the other hand. And the left hand is kicking much ass. I mean, it looks like the right hand love is finished. But hold on, stop the presses. The right hand's coming back. Yeah, he got the left hand on the ropes now. That's right. Yeah. Ooh, it's a devastating right and hate is hurt. Down. Ooh, ooh, left hand hate KO'd by love. If I love you, I love you. But if I hate you, there it is, love and hate. But yeah, so he, he charms everybody with the love and hate. And even Pearl, you know, takes a liking to him immediately. But John just does not trust this dude. He just fucking, yeah. he gives him the side eye immediately. I was like, Pearl, you could have, you know, loved your dad this way. <laughs> You're trusting this man immediately and not the guy who's been around your whole life. But whatever. I didn't see one hug or one cry when the police, you know, put him to the floor. All I saw was John being like, no. And then you were like. I got my doll back. Uh, yep. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. I'm really hating on Pearl here. Yeah, I'm yeah. so sorry. <laughs> I don't know if I share your hate for Pearl. <laughs> oh, she's just a child, Masha. She's just a child. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that their mother gets brainwashed, essentially, to get together with this preacher man. And you know what he was bringing? What? He was bringing in the sheaves. Bringing <laughs> in the sheaves. Bringing in the sheaves. Bringing in the sheaves, we shall come rejoicing, bringing in the sheaves. You're something, 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 bringing, bringing in, in the, the sheaves. sheaves. <laughs> <laughs> the songs in this movie are so interesting. Yeah, I like them. <laughs> <laughs> Those had to be originals, right? Unless they're just religious songs that I just don't know or came across. Uh, I think they're original, but I don't actually know. I think I get super scared about the fact that, you know, men and women could go from town to town and you have no idea what their histories are, yep, yep. especially pre-social media or like references. Like you can't call somebody up, you know? Yeah. So like just the fact of getting together with an out-of-towner is such a scary concept to me in these times. Yeah, like the fact that you can just go like across the borders of two towns and all of a sudden you can just live a different life. You Completely just, you know, different. Like- yeah, That's like, this insane. guy's murdered people, and you have no idea. Yeah, it's insane. <laughs> so the fact that she, you know, even considers getting together with him after such a short amount of time, in itself, was a horror movie to me. Yeah, and, like, also just think of the time where, you know, re- marriage was treated in a way where it's like, once you're married, like... That's it. Your husband's the person you listen to. Like, no one's gonna give a fuck. Like, you can't... Like, you're you're not safe. You're trapped. You know, so it's like, <laughs> But yeah, they get married pretty quickly. Powell and uh, and the wife. Yeah. Wife. Willa. <laughs> Pearl likes him at first, but immediately, like, Pearl's way more of a traditionalist in the sense where, like, okay, now he's officially our daddy, so now we can tell him whatever we want because, you know, like, it's like, it's more like, on paper, now he's our dad, so now I love him more than our old dad because he's right. not our dad. We only have one dad, you know, like. Yes. Very simplistic and just. So I think, I don't know, I might be reading into it too much, but I think that to me adds to kind of like the questioning of traditional values of this whole movie's plot. Because hmm. like Pearl, like just trusts whatever she's supposed to, because that's what like on paper you're supposed to, like you have a mom and dad. So right. you, you lost your dad, now you have a new dad, so it's your dad, you know? So it's like, she, like, she's willing to give up the secret immediately, because in her mind, she's like, no, I made that promise to my dad, but this is my dad, so mm-hmm. therefore I should, you know... But John basically accidentally lets it slip 
that he knows where the money is. Yeah. Because the preacher's still trying to figure out who, like, who knows where the money is. He thinks maybe the wife knows. He thinks maybe, so, you know, but it isn't until he's kind of questioning Pearl. And then John goes like, Pearl, you swore you wouldn't tell. Right. And then that's when he basically lets it loose that, like, we know and we're yeah. hiding it from you. I actually really like that that scene happened because up until then, I was like, man, this kid is super smart. But this is where they were like, oh, this kid's still a kid. Yeah, like, exactly. yes, he's been great and awesome and, like, really stepping into those shoes of, like, being a caretaker and adult. But, like, he is still a kid and that's yeah. where it came through in this scene. So uh, I really like that. Uh, the only thing you could think to do was to throw his hairbrush. <laughs> like, you hit daddy with a hairbrush. <laughs> God, freaking Pearl. But before this too, isn't this where we get Willa and the preacher's first night together? Yeah, yeah. Sorry, after they get married. Yeah. Yeah, that one's crazy. This was scary too. Yeah, so she's like basically, you know, in her mind, it's like, oh, it's a wedding night. You know, she's starting to like get all cute and shit. Yeah. And then he just fucking gets crazy dark yeah, you know just I was so scared badgering for her. her for like sexual you know he's like oh you think we're just gonna paw at each other like we're supposed to on our wedding night and all this stuff yeah he tells her to look into the mirror look at yourself yeah and that's where the sale the self-hatred comes in for her like she's like yeah i'm the problem yeah. <laughs> like it was just some like 1800s you know women are devils kind of thing well that's yeah that's what i mean where i just think she's been broken this whole movie like i don't think mm. we just ever see her in her normal mental state like we yeah. all, we only see like fucked up willa you know yeah and then yeah it also gives us the key into like the weird sexuality of powell also because i don't think he's completely not into sex i just think it has to be like a weird power thing for him hmm. because i always look at this as switchblade represents like when he's like horny almost and it always comes out you know, when he's, like, either going to dominate someone or when he's, like, around children. And so mm. the movie, obviously, it's the 50s. They're not even going to touch pedophilia with a stick. Right. But I could read into it where, like, this guy might be a pedophile. Like, Ugh. you know, like, I, I wouldn't want him and Pearl alone for too long. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. So here, but then here where it's, like, the exact way it's, like, quote, unquote, normal. Like, you know, you just, this is your wife. It's your wedding night. And it's like, supposed to be, like, the non-sinful kind yeah, of Yeah, this is, like, the one time where sex is supposed to be, like, a-okay and expected and like he's just like disgusted by the idea of it yeah yeah and i th totally a power play because it transitions straight from this scene to some sort of weird fiery sermon that they're holding with the town yeah i thought this was a very okay this is where i understand the artsiness now that we're, <laughs> we're revisiting these scenes one by one i could see this scene very, being very artsy because the way that the fire is shown it's like very it's a very dark scene yeah and lit very interestingly for a black and white movie and it's just it was actually very scary and i thought willa's acting here it really showed how much he had brainwashed her in such a short amount of time her and then also like that it was working in the, the town. town it was basically to me i thought i look at it as like it's like the devil coming into town mm. like the fire represents like the hell and like them kind of falling for his tricks yeah and like this fire is getting bigger because his influence is getting bigger. And he's not even saying anything. Like, they're all riled up and he's like, mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's freaking scary. When the adults in the town are insane. Yeah. Man, it's a scary kid movie. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> I think that this was the original Home Alone. <laughs> I think this is where, you know, what's his name was inspired? John Hughes. <laughs> I call it the original good son because like John is oh, the best son. Duh. Yeah, you, you want a son, you want this kid. Like, <laughs> this kid will fucking go down swinging for you. <laughs> so, yeah, we just get more 
kind of brainwashing from Powell. We see that Pearl's slowly kind of, she's questioning John a lot. Like, can we tell new daddy our secret? Like, why can't we? All this stuff. We get the scene where fucking John comes out and Pearl's just playing with the money outside on the floor. Oh, Ooh, that's one of the scariest scenes. That was a, a lot of suspense for a movie of that time. Yeah, it was, that was tension. And like the way just Powell's shadow comes in like behind them while they're putting all the money yeah. away. And he's like, what are you guys playing with? Yeah. Although Powell's a fucking idiot because like two bills fly right by his feet and he doesn't like put two and two together that like the money is somewhere <laughs> immediate. Like, you know, like where these kids get that money. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, we're just like John's like has to deal with Pearl being re- super, just being dumb as hell. I just that's the dad's fault too. Just leave it with the son. Yeah, he shouldn't <laughs> have even fucked with the, with the dog. <laughs> but then yeah, after that fiery sermon scene, like now we just see a fully brainwashed uh, Willa, and mm-hmm. she is basically lying in bed praying. And like this, this is one of the biggest examples of them going back to that German Gothic style because the whole bedroom in this scene is lit like a church. Like mm. it's basically she's in a bed and all the light is around her in almost like a halo-y effect. And then he's off in the shadows and then it just arches up into a giant like triangle up to the top mm. of the screen. If you rewatch it, you'll see. Like this this movie to me is one of those perfect examples of like that phrase, like every frame of painting where you can just pause it and like it looks beautiful at any time. And you're just like, I could see somebody painting this. Like wow. Like every image is so deliberate in this movie. Mm-hmm. And you know, we see her basically just going on and on about how God is the reason why they met and that that money her husband stole while it was evil, it it was necessary because it it, it brought got, them it, together. It brought them together and brought her to the light and saw this. And then Pavel's just like he's just getting annoyed because he doesn't even believe in this religious stuff. He just yes. wants the money, so he's just basically listening to her flap on and on. Yeah. And then I think he already knew that she didn't know about the money, but this maybe just like solidified it that like she's basically useless in his search for the money. I think so, but I also think that in this scene she was starting to question him a little bit about why. Because I feel like she overheard a little bit of his interrogation of the kids. She did. So she heard him yelling at Pearl. Yeah, we forgot to mention that. Where, you know, it starts off where, like, all right, I'll tell you a secret. You tell me a secret. Mm -hmm. And then eventually, you know, she starts screaming and runs away from him. And the wife sees that. But, I, yeah, she does question him a little bit. But, like, I think that also shows how far gone she is. Because Mm. any normal sane mother would, you know, she... She would have helped her kids, but she just immediately, like, sided with him, basically. She just seems sedated. Yeah, and, (laughs) and, like, you know, John just keeps trying to tell her that that Powell's asking for the money, and she's like, stop telling lies. Right. So in the scene, she's laying there, basically already laying in a coffin. Like, like she's laying as if she's in her own grave. Exactly, yeah. And then he goes. It was almost sacrificial in a a way. (laughs) And then he gets murdered by by Powell. She gets murdered by Powell. Mm. And, yeah, that was bananas yeah that stabbing was so scary yeah it was because he raised his arm so high up and it was just yeah it was like almost like a religious sacrifice like yeah. you said you know like the way you would like sacrifice a goat or something exactly i did yeah. not like it i mean it was good for the movie it's fucking crazy <laughs> and then he uh, he comes up with this elaborate story for the town where it makes it look like she ran away and left the kids with him. Yeah. He just knows the right person in town to talk to who will spread the message to everyone else. Because yeah. this parlor lady's like, oh, the poor preacher, blah, blah, blah. Just spreading all this yeah. junk. Yeah, I yeah. hate her so much. Yeah, she sucks. 
this is great. I love when I hate characters because it means they did a great job, yeah. you know, to for making me feel these emotions so passionately. Exactly. And then, of course, none of them question that, like, Pavel will now take care of these children, even though he's a stranger to them. You yeah. know, he just came to town, like, a couple, you know, a week beforehand or whatever it was. Exactly. And then I think from there we get a scene with Birdie where he's sitting drinking alone. Mm. And, oh, no, he's fishing. And uh, his fishing line ends up catching the car under the lake where he sunk the car with Willa. Yeah. Yeah, that shot of her body in the room. Yes. That was beautiful. How the hell did they do that? I literally saw an interview with Guillermo del Toro where he was like, I've been trying to recreate that beauty my entire career. I feel like he has. I mean, I kind of think Lady in the Water came from that entire thing. Yeah. Like, because he literally, like, mentioned, like, he's on the Criterion DVD talking about it, and he's like, He's like me as a kid seeing like that hair in the water waving. And yes. he was like, I've just, I'd never seen anything like that in a movie. And that's when I knew like, that's what I strive for. Yeah. And then as soon as he said that, you know, because he recorded this way before Blade in the Water came out. So I was just like, oh shit. And look at that. I, <laughs> yeah. Circle. I think that's where it came from. And I thought that it was so, be- it, that was a shot I was not expecting to see yeah. in this movie. It was great. And like, Honestly, that dummy work is so good because the first time I thought that was the real actress. Mm-hmm. And I was like even worried too because I was like, fuck, did they just like chain her up down there? Like, you know, and like make her hold her breath. But like they used a dummy and then just used the great uh, mask maker to make it look exactly like the actress. Wow. And that way they were able to hold that shot for that long and everything. Yeah. And yeah, it was beautiful. And then it's just so tragic. Like, mm-hmm. you know, in a lot of movies, you would think that this would be the catalyst to get Powell caught. But instead, Birdie just knowing that he thinks of his own perception as the town fuck up and the town drunk Mm -hmm. and like the town loser that he knows that that he immediately just goes like, if I tell anyone about this, they're going to think I did it and no one's ever going to believe me because I'm like a piece of shit and just immediately just keeps drinking even more in his own self pity. And it's like, Oh, it's so sad. It's like, and even that, like that's some kind of like in any other movie from this time, that would be strictly a plot point to get the bad guy caught. But instead this is like, it's used as a character moment. And like I said, this whole movie, I just think is explaining just the nature of like man, basically, and like your choices and the way you perceive yourself or how others perceive you. Right. And like, you know, by all accounts, Birdie is never is, is a good guy from what we see. Like he doesn't yeah. do anything bad to anyone. He's super nice to John. Like he's a kind man. But like he's perceived as like a monster or not a monster, but just like like not good by the town. And then that makes him not good. Mm. as opposed to the preacher who's perceived as good mm. meanwhile he's more evil than birdie would ever be you know right I mean? right so I, I found that so interesting i remember i just didn't see that coming yeah and Bert- it's it's funny because birdie i think was the only or is the only adult thus far to sort of be that one person that john can sort of rely on you know like yeah. he even tells john like no matter if you need help like always rely on me yeah and it's just at this point where you realize like literally every adult doesn't have their back <laughs> exactly like he they don't have anyone to yeah turn like to. that that would have just been seated so at the end of the movie birdie could give them a boat you know, right and be like exactly. come on john i'll take care of you you know but it's that that's not how it happens yeah and then yeah so meanwhile with the kids alone powell's basically just like he's got him yeah all to himself and he's on the hunt for them they're hiding in the basement and then the nose, Mrs. Spoon. Her name is icy spoon by the way her name her character's name is icy spoon yeah What's her husband's name? Hot Spoon? Oh, uh, I forgot. <laughs> I think it's like Arthur. Hot. Oh, yeah. Walt Spoon is her husband's name. Okay. Her name is Mother. Mother. <laughs> She's essentially able to lure the kids out of the basement, which is where they were hiding yeah. away from Pal. And this is where I thought that 
this was like a home alone movie kind of thing because oh, yeah. you know after she leaves they have this very scary dinner where he's basically intimidating these kids with the food like he's eating in front of them clearly they're starving yeah it was all dropped off by the neighbor because you know they don't have a mother right. anymore and he's like you want to eat this food you so better it looks tell- so goddamn good like that was something he's like they had like cornbread all this shit <laughs> you love food in movies yeah. they're always uh, hungry so good. i love it um but yeah he's like oh you want some of this mac and cheese uh, you can have as much as you want if you tell me what that money is yeah. <laughs> and freaking pearl I hate her. Hey, she does pretty good. She keeps going like, John said I can't tell you. And he's like, forget about John. Like, freaking <laughs> out. It's like, John, doesn't matter. Like, I love yeah. that. I was actually, because of how surprising everything's been to this point, I just didn't know how far they were going to go with, like, the abuse. Yeah. <laughs> like, I had no idea. We all, yeah, we already had uh, Powell slap the shit out of Willa earlier. Remember oh, that? That's a classic Hollywood yeah. slap. Oh, yeah. I mean, she was being hysterical. It's, it's very understandable. You got a hysterical woman. You, you, no, I'm, kidding, I'm kidding. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I got to give him credit for, you know, trying to uh, trick him. to trick him because, you know, he's like, all right, I'll tell you where the money is. It's in the basement. And this is his way to like lure him in and kind of lock him in there. Yep. And this is where like the home alone aspect comes in because, you know, he's like, it's under the it's under the uh, rocks yeah, that's yeah. in the bottom of the basement and you know i don't know how it works but like he's able to basically drop all these mason jars on top of yeah he like pal's head yeah he like knocks the shelf like yeah. knocks like, some support off so the shelf falls he, on his head and they're able to this is sort of the beginning of because he learns it's in the doll at that point yes yeah, yes yeah. and then they they just knock him out and jet yeah, I th- I thought that the way the basement was shot, it actually seemed like a stage. Like the way that we saw the basement uh-huh. with the stairs, yeah, yeah. like it just seemed like we were sitting in a the like how it would be if you we were sitting in a theater and oh, saw a cool. house or the inside of a house. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah. I mean, most of the movie was shot on sound stages. Like it wasn't a lot of this. There was no real location, right? So, but I like for example, Psycho. You know, we saw someone going up the stairs and going down yeah, the stairs. Yeah, yeah. We never really saw something from that angle. We always saw the full basement, mm-hmm. which I thought was very interesting. And I don't know if I can give that. Credit to you know him having that theater background. Yeah, probably. But you were we were able to see the whole yeah. set basically. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, these kids jet they run to Birdie for help because you know this is a movie and Birdie's the one nice guy, but he is just in a drunken stupor. Mm. Oh god, it felt so bad. I hated that. But they're still able to grab his boat and jet on out of there. I I didn't really think that they were gonna get away. Really? <laughs> yeah, because he was so close. I know that part's mad scary. Like, <laughs> oh, I just love that, and then just the accompanying river scene is so beautiful, and it's a hundred percent not the actress at all. But whoever dubs in Pearl's singing voice oh. when Pearl sings on the on the thing, yeah, is goddamn beautiful. That's mm-hmm. uh, like it just. Yeah, one of the other ways Lawton described the story is like a twisted mother goose tale. So, you know, mm-hmm. he, he wanted to, he was trying to go back to those old stories, you know, where, you know, Powell is the big bad wolf and, and you know, very like kind of simple, like a force that is coming for you and then mm. using your ingenuity. And so he wanted to do some kind of Brothers Grimm type stuff. And so just like these kids, these kids on the water floating on the boat singing a song, like that was kind of a whole movie to him. Like mm. that was like this, like it's, it's, we're seeing this horrifying tale through the perspective of kids. Just like old school Mother Goose and and grim fairy tales and all that stuff. We had two pretty children, but one night these two pretty children flew away. 
and they they go off and escape with him. And we don't know if he ever finds them again, but we could find out in the spoiler section. Let's do it. Now, I found it interesting that these kids chose, or I guess John really, chose to starve or gather free food from people (laughs) by free food, like free uncooked potatoes, (laughs) rather than use the money that's in the doll. Yeah, they don't really go into it. I don't know if it's just like... I just was, it was never clear to me what the money was for. Obviously, it's for them, so why not use it? And I I just, I, I didn't understand what it symbolized for John. Yeah, I don't know exactly if I had to kind of give my take on it. It's it's kind of just him still being looking at it in the ways of a child where like it's not even necessarily the fact that it's money. It could have been anything. It's kind of like protecting it represents his dad and what his dad wanted and mm-hmm. like kind of like his fight against this like evil thing that's coming into his life. Like at this point, it's taking his dad, it's taking his mom. You know, like it's it's he's not even looking at it as his money. It could have been anything, or his dad's just like like it's just like his mission. It's like his reason for going forward. Almost. I see. As we get to the end, I, I I can elaborate on this more, but I don't want to just ruin what happens at the end. Okay. Um, well, that's kind of my thought. But yeah, what we see is these kids basically on this boat going down river, hoping that Powell isn't following them. Yeah, just where, down the Ohio River. Yeah, but you know he finds a horse. Yep. And actually, him on a horse is very scary. Yeah, he looked good on a horse. <laughs> yeah, with the all black and the top hat. Yeah, it's fucking sweet. Oh, man. And just when he would appear sort of along the river, too. Yeah. I just, I thought that was shot very well. A lot of those were done with, uh, like, forced perspectives with, uh, like, a donkey and a little person. Oh. Yeah, just to, like, to make the size look right. You no know? Like, way. Because, because it was shot on sets, you know. It wasn't really, like, vast landscapes. Like, yeah. You know? So it, they didn't have that much depth to work with. So, yeah, they had to do that. Can we talk about this farmhouse scene? Yeah. What do you got? They sleep in the this farmhouse for the night. I thought it was very interesting that, one, there was, like, a, the, some sort of singing voice in a house next to the stable. Yeah. I didn't. What was your take on that? I didn't really get that. I don't know if I have a take on that. Okay. I was just wondering. (laughs) All right. Yeah, sorry. (laughs) That's fine. John, of course, wakes up. I guess it's sunrise. And he looks out and he sees Powell from a distance. It evokes so much stuff that, like, would be later done in so many horror movies. Mm. Like, just that, like, unstoppable force. Like, Michael Myers always in the distance. Like, like Powell was, was, they were kind of creating a lot of those sweet image motifs that that will show up later in the right. genre it's like where when is it gonna stop yeah and he can't they can't stay there because he's eventually gonna you know exactly roam that area so it's just this never-ending journey for them so i was really surprised when they end up leaving and being discovered by this old woman who just doesn't give a crap and is like, I'm going to grab a switch and you better get out that boat. Oh, yeah. I just, <laughs> that made me laugh out loud. Yeah, I love, that's the use of my character, Rachel. Oh, love that character. <laughs> and I just love in general in these old movies. Like, like I don't agree with hitting kids and stuff, but it is funny when you see it, like, just depicted of the old way of just being like, shut the fuck up, God, just like hitting kids constantly, like yeah. making them grab switches and shit. Yeah, so Rachel, uh, she's played by Lillian Gish. And this this whole casting actually is another like Marais is like a love letter to silent cinema. Mm-hmm. So she was a silent movie star, this actress. Oh. And you know, like most silent movie stars didn't trans transition into sound. It just it was very hard. You know, your your whole craft had nothing to do with 
your voice or the way you speak and then all of a sudden that's all that mattered so most silent stars like that's what singing in the rain is about like mm. they, a lot of silent stars just didn't get the transition and she didn't really either she wasn't famous anymore or anything she was just like an older woman but charles lawton just always remembered her and like her presence in silent cinema so he's like i want to make like this fucking gangsta ass character and i want like someone from your i want a star from your era to like portray her to have this sort of character be a woman i felt like was very powerful oh the fact that this doesn't get brought up like people love to talk about you know fucking sigourney weaver and aliens and uh, mm-hmm. sarah Ka- uh, what's her name linda hamilton and terminator and like there's always like the stock answers of like oh the strong women in cinema but i'm like yo fucking rachel in, in night of the hunter yeah. is one gangster like she doesn't give a fuck first of all having all of these random kids who aren't yours she has like 10 kids in this house during the great depression i know she's feeding all of them and they're helping her run her farm or whatever and i love like we're talking about with like perception and everything like when you first meet her she seems like mad scary and cold and mean Mm. and like it's really because she's like a survivalist so it's like her actions that once we learn about that we realize that like oh she has the biggest heart in the whole movie. Yeah. As opposed to other people who are acting all nice on the outside, but really all of like selfish intentions or like mm-hmm. are just like shitty people. You know what I mean? So it's very cool where you first meet her and she's looking for switches and chasing these kids around. <laughs> and then, you know, you by the end, it's like, you know, she's the one who has the best pure intentions of anybody. Yeah. You know what I mean? So yeah, fucking, yeah, Rachel's gangster. She takes these kids in and we meet the whole boarding house and they got all these different kids <laughs> at different ages. Yeah. At this point, I was like, are we watching a different movie? <laughs> yeah. It just felt so different from the first I kind of like it. It like lulls you like almost into security where you think like, you know, oh, they're safe now. You know, like they really like they, they keep them safe for a while before mm-hmm. before the, the threat comes back. Ugh. So yeah, Powell's in town. He's kind of half romancing like the 13 year old Ruby or however old she that was. That was sketchy. I mean, that's what I said. I think Powell's a pedophile. They just couldn't do it in 1950. So they had to yeah. at it. I mean, all it took was buying her an ice cream and she just blurted out everything he needed to know. I I mean, I guess she felt guilty about it because she runs home and tells Lillian. What's her character's name? Rachel. Rachel. Yeah. I I like that Rachel is like, all right, well, I I, I think she's putting everything together really quickly, which I was very happy about. I thought it was going to take some time for her to put it together. Yeah. Yeah. And I like that, too, because. You know, a lot of these old movies, too, they are all written by dudes. And so a lot of times just women are not written as well because dudes just like, oh, it's a a movie about men, whatever. The woman does this and this. And, you know, you could almost argue that until Rachel comes into this movie where, like, you know the the wife is a ditz like the the boss lady is the one who runs the, the coffee shop like yes. she's an old school like shrill who wants everyone to get married you know like they all are very kind of like one note like women attributes yeah and then once rachel comes in like you realize that it's we're just we're just examining different types of people it's not necessarily him just being like ah, just make all the women stupid you know yeah so I, yeah I, I dig that so eventually pal ends up at the house yes. right and Rachel is really the first and only woman in this movie to challenge him. And she's not swooned by him at all. No. I love when he tries to go right into his love versus hate speech and she just cuts him off. Like, like really just like depowers him immediately. Like you could tell no one's ever not been enthralled by that speech. I don't think she believed at all that that was really like John's dad. But I like that like she played it smart. Where, like, she wanted to, like, John to say it almost. Where she's like, what's the matter, boy? You don't want to go say hi to your dad? You know? Mm-hmm. like. But, like, she was the first one who was actually, like, listening to John. 
nobody else they were always talking down to him or talking about him or or like you know just disregarding yeah. what he had to say yes and yeah i just love that whole scene where you know he's like he's not my pa and she's just like yeah i don't think he's any preacher either oh uh, and then she just like leaves frame and then i remember the first time watching it i'm like what the fuck where's she going like what the fuck this seems crazy yes and powell's that's chasing john with the doll underneath the underneath the house and then she just comes out with that fucking gangster <laughs> shotgun that shit was dope. i was not expecting that at <laughs> all yeah me neither like i just i've never seen a character like this in in the movie this old you know yeah and i love the scenes to follow because it scares him off ever so briefly but he's like i'm coming back at night oh. Which means they're not sleeping. I mean, yeah, this this immediately cuts. It's my favorite sequence in the entire movie. And it's all, I, I guess, giving credit to the silent era, like you said. Yeah. She's just sitting, rocking with, with that gun. Yeah, the kids are asleep. Powell, which I love, instead of doing the sneaky method, he's just like, he's like a shark. He's mm. just outside of their house and just singing this preacher song. Uh, Interestingly, oh, so taking good. out the Jesus in yep, it. Yeah, I'm glad you noticed that. Yeah. Yep, he's singing this song. And Rachel sitting in the dark, all just a pure, pure silhouette, all black, just rocking chair with that shotgun, just that ill, ill image. And, you know, he's singing to scare the fuck out of her and be like, I'm coming for you. And then she just sings right back at him. But she sings with the word Jesus in it. And her singing ends up drowning out his. And I, I got to put a clip of it in here because it literally like I watched the scene like three more times on YouTube while I was doing research <laughs> for this. So I'll put that in right here. What a peace is mine. Leaning on the everlasting arms. Leaning, leaning on Jesus, leaning on Jesus, safe and secure from all arms. Leaning on Jesus, leaning on Jesus, leaning on the Holy shit, that works so well. Yeah. It's fucking... Like, I don't know. Like The more I watch it, the more I'm just trying to like think about it. It's like everything that Powell is singing is a lie, and it's used as a trap and an intimidation tactic. And she's singing the exact same words, but her intentions are so pure, and it's from like a sense of like protection and just like a sense of good. Like, mm-hmm. like this is like the true like good versus evil, like coming head to head in this movie. Everyone else has been shades of gray. And mm. these two are like, she's pure good and he's pure evil. And I just, it's so interesting that they're singing the same song. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think it's also representative of how thin the line is between good and evil. Yeah. Because it is, like we said, the same song, but it's just those minor tweaks that make it good and evil. And the fact that, yeah, and she's saying Jesus and he isn't, it just proves that like he's false. Like he, right. he talks a lot about the Lord and the word of the god but he never once talks about jesus he never once talks about like anything specific yeah and so it's like it's interesting that like she actually is like a woman of god and that there's like a difference you know yeah we also get that little quick scene too where we see like a rabbit and a owl (laughs) and then the owl comes down and kills the rabbit yes and she's just like and she looks on and she says like I forget her exact line, but something about like being like li- the little things need the most protection. Yeah, or something like something that. Like and that. it kind of like solidifies her whole stance in life, where mm-hmm. it's like I'm here to make sure like these kids can't kids can't help themselves. Like yeah. the world is evil, and I'm gonna be the one who stands between the evilness and and them growing yeah. up. There were a lot of interesting shots of am- animals. Not that I remember that, yeah, like dur- a frog. Or yeah, like- during the the river scene. 
Yeah, I was like, are they going into, like, yeah. is this like an Alice in Wonderland situation? What's <laughs> yeah, happening? <maybe. laughs> yeah, I, I can't claim if this is the birth of this shot, but it's the oldest I've ever seen it done. Where we hear, uh, I think it was Ruby, she wakes up from the singing and she comes downstairs to see what's going on and she has the candle. Mm -hmm. And when she comes into the room, it ends up lighting up the window and you can't see Powell anymore. Yeah. And Rachel immediately is like, what are you doing? And she blows up the candle and then he's gone. I mean, classic, how many times have we seen that shot? Keep bringing it back to Michael Myers, but like it always, everyone's always giving it to Halloween and one of my favorite movies, but like. I never saw that shit earlier than this. Like, Ooh. you know, there's a killer. Something obstructs your view for a second. Your view comes back and he's gone. Yeah. Fucking dope. Yeah. Um, and then that's when Rachel starts to get worried where she's like, I don't have eyes on him anymore. Mm -hmm. um, and like, we get that just slow, like stalking through the house. I don't know. What were you feeling during this? I was scared. Yeah. I mean, it was great. <laughs> and then that fucking that jump scare, too, of Powell popping up. It's almost like it lulls you to sleep. Like, it's such a quiet, and then he just screeches out of nowhere. Yeah. And she, she wounds him and, and basically traps him in the barn because he runs away. I will say I do have to watch this scene again because it happened so fast that I was like, is he in the barn? Like, I couldn't. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, he is. Because we, <laughs> I, we I see got what it. happens yeah, after, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But like, it just happened so quick that I was yeah. like, uh But oh man, that's that. There's so much tension in that scene, and like, you know, I, I could see so many filmmakers just, get, you know, like mm. I'm thinking of the end of Silence of the Lambs when Jodie Foster's hunting Buffalo Bill in the house. Like, mm -hmm. there's just so many like cat and mouse scenes that I think. You know, might have to have gotten inspiration from this movie. Yeah, he seems so small in this moment, too. Yeah, like after he gets shot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because he's just been like this, like we said, like a huge silhouette of darkness yeah. this whole entire time. And she just... And we hear him just screaming and yelling and running. It's like, it's like a wounded dog. Like mm -hmm. as if you like shot like a deer or something in the woods, but only got its legs, you know? Yeah. And finally we see cops. Yeah, yeah. Jesus <laughs> Christ. Finally the cops come. You know, they discover the body at the, in the beach or in the beach in the lake. And then they, they're basically be able to connect that this guy has been yeah. doing the murders. And you've got to explain this scene to me because once they get hands on Pal, they put him to the ground, basically how they did with John's father at the beginning of the movie. Yeah. And John essentially has this mini breakdown yeah. where he's like, take the money and like throws the doll. The money goes everywhere. So the way I looked at it is like, you know, everyone's been kind of repressing everything this whole movie. And, like, you know, he had a, a very traumatic thing. Like, he well, he saw his dad taken down by cops and then them put a gun to his head and pull the trigger. They didn't kill him because there was no bullets in the gun. Mm -hmm. But, you know, and he, he, hasn't, he hasn't had a chance to deal with that. He's been having all his hardships ever since dealing with these problems. And I think just seeing Powell in that same position just triggered that memory back for him. That's the way I imagined it. He's been nothing but strong this mm. entire movie, and he has not been able to be a kid and break down and deal with any of this. And just seeing that, like, after all this, like, seeing that again, it just broke down, and this money has been nothing but a problem ever since that happened. Like, the second he saw his dad give him that money, everything's gone to shit. His dad got killed, his mom got killed, he's been chased, you know, all this stuff. And it was just him just being, like, just just fuck it like just get all this away from me i don't give a fuck right. like you know like me protecting this money has been nothing but a problem this money is a curse like i don't want any of this and that's just kind of how i looked at okay. it you know that actually makes way more sense because initially i was like you don't even care for this guy like why is this triggering that but it's more of the sense like the actions of those cops 
brought him back to that moment yeah. with his dad. And I don't even think he cares about Powell. Like, I think he's literally beating Powell with the doll. Like, I think he's just like, take, like, you know, this is what all this is for. Like, yeah. you motherfucker. Like, you know, yeah. like, so I don't think he's like, don't kill Powell. It's more just yeah, like, yeah, yeah. like, I just, I don't want this anymore. I don't want this responsibility. Like, I'm a kid, you know? Like, That's cool. Like, and, you know, and I think it took the mothering of Rachel. Like, mm. it took an adult to care for him to let him finally not have to be an adult himself right you know like so it's like it was it was like rachel's actions and the fact that like she risked her own life for him without hesitation and like protected him and like he was like oh shit this is what it's like to have a parent who cares about me because even like the dad did the crime for the kids but still he wasn't thinking about his family he didn't give a fuck like you know what i mean like like it it was an easy way out and he didn't think about what him dying would what kind of what that would do to his kids like and all this stuff so Mm -hmm. So, like, I don't think he ever had, Could like, have asked for a new cellmate. Yeah, like, I, I just, yeah, I don't think he, these kids knew, like, what true, like, parentage was or, like, love from an adult, mm-hmm. you know? I was waiting for that cutaway where Rachel would be like, you could have kept some of them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, But not needed, not needed. Yeah, yeah. And with, with the news that, you know, they, they link all these murders to Powell and they find out that he's been the serial killer who's killed all these women. So, it basically causes the town to erupt in a riot mm-hmm. where they're all... And this is all pulled from real life. So this is what happened to the real life guy too. Was oh. after, after he got arrested, uh, the huge lynch mob got together to go and and basically rip him out of the jail cell to go kill him. They were stopped in real life, and I think stopped in the movie. He gets hung, but I think it's through the proper yes like, it jurisdiction. Is. And uh, I don't know why I was getting so confused in this movie because it looked like that mob was coming after Rachel and the kids. It at did some kind point. of look like it a little bit, yeah. But yeah, but it's it's not. It's just yeah, them. It's I, them like we have to go kill this motherfucker for what he did. Mm-hmm. Um, of course with freaking icy spoon at the beginning yeah, of it. Icy spoon. Hypocrite. You love Hypocrite icy, spoon. You love icy spoon. <laughs> and then yeah, and then it just kind of delves into a very kind ending which i think it, the movie kind of earns because there's been so much strife yeah. and tragedy and then it almost ends like it's a wonderful yeah. life you <laughs> yeah know? they're having a nice wonderful christmas you know the kids are, are seemingly well adjusted this was sweet and loving their new little life but yeah i know it, it's a little corny but also so much bad stuff happens in this movie that i'm like thank god they got something yeah. nice they, these kids got got something nice going on well should we just head into best worst let's do it my first one is best worst character, but you already made it clear. All right. <laughs> actually, I don't know your worst because you hate two pretty <laughs> equally. It, it's actually a tie for worst between Pearl and Ruby. Ah, uh, okay. But at the end of the day, I think I'm going to go with Ruby because she's the older girl with more sense. Yeah, I can't. I, yeah, I can't. <laughs> like, Pearl was stupid, but, like, I think it was, like, for a point of the movie. Like, you know, it's like it was... I, can't, I think she kind of needed to be. Yeah, she was the naive. She's, yeah. you know, still young. Yeah. Surface level. Like, she can't really sense certain things so yeah i i went with ruby for worse nice i went with icy spoon ah uh, yeah <laughs> i, I agree it. with that <laughs> mother and for best i had to put john but honestly for runner-up i had up a birdie just because like he, he was so hmm. broke my heart man i i, I love watching birdie but he just seemed like so like fun like you know what i mean yeah the whole movie is like ah, i'd go hang out with birdie yeah if his wife didn't die he would have been yeah. pretty cool dude i would i would have popped over birdies for an afternoon cap you know you're you just like him because he'll have a cup of coffee for you and you love coffee. Yeah. And then if it's like middle of the day, I'd be like, oh, sweeten up that coffee, birdie. <laughs> love it. I went with John as well. He's awesome. Yeah, you can't, you can't go wrong with John. Nah. I did an overall best worst scene. Um, I went into this as we were, I kind of talked about both of these already, but uh, to quickly recap, best I put 
the that final showdown of Rachel and Powell was singing the song. Mm. It's just there's nothing better. Like that's the whole movie for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think I already went into tons of detail of why I think so. Yeah, that was my best scene. Cool. I guess it's less of a scene and more of a shot. That's fine. But I do love that underwater scene. Yeah. Or that underwater shot. I give it to you. It's freaking beautiful. I was just I'm so ha- impressed. Haunting. Yeah. yeah. It's so good. Uh, and then worst, I mentioned this also too, but I, I think it's the opening in the car of him talking to to the Lord and and giving tons and tons of exposition. Mm, so yes. I, yeah, I just think I just think it could have been handled a little bit better. Like this whole movie is so filmic and doesn't require a lot of dialogue to get exposition out. Mm. And this is the one time where instead of visually, it, it shows you just with tons of words. Right. I don't hate it. I just think it's not as strong as the rest of the movie. Yeah, I, I, I think I might have to agree with you there because I was completely thrown off at the beginning of this movie. Yeah. I didn't know what was happening when, where we were. There were so many characters introduced at the same time. So I was really lost. So I'm going to go with that nice. as well. Awesome. The last one I'll just throw out there because, you know, it's a black and white old timey movie best worst old-timey thing if we want to do it yeah why not the best for me because it's ridiculous is just that classic hollywood slap oh yeah (laughs) it's pretty hilarious it's so like you wind it up so far (laughs) no contact and such a loud sound effect yep (laughs) i think the best is what we talked about earlier of just like this small town life where you could just roam to any town and change your entire identity Mm. and like nobody would ever question you you don't need to like Registered documents with the government and shit. You're just like, oh, I live here now. Yeah. (laughs) You could just start a new life. That's fucking crazy. (laughs) And the worst for me is going to be because there was actually a point in the movie where you and I both had no idea what Birdie was saying to John. Yeah. So I'm just going to say whatever dialogue that was. Yeah. (laughs) Was Uh, just so hard to understand. She don't put in Crescent Landing no more, but she still blows as she passes. Come on in and have a cup of coffee, boy. Ain't nobody stole Dad's skiff. Ain't nobody gonna neither as long as Uncle Bertie's around. My worst is living through the Great Depression and having to wait online for okay. a single uncooked potato. Yeah. Like that's... an uncooked potato line, you know. <laughs> and then get shooed away. Yeah. That's pretty good. Um, but I will say out of my worst, I did like hearing the word betwixt yeah. and I've been using it quite a bit since we finished watching they this did movie. say betwixt a bunch <laughs> <laughs> nice cool that's my last one yeah cool beyond the credits i don't really have much here yeah i kind of think it wraps up real nicely and yeah. i like to pretend that john and pearl grow up relatively normal i, I kind of hope that this does like i kind of like to think that because of how awesome rachel is right that uh that they end up growing up pretty well adjusted. I agree. And it's because they have no really extended family that we were introduced to. There's no tie to where they originally were from. Yeah. So I really don't think that there's an additional story to revisit there. So yeah, I don't think so either. And like, you know, Powell does get hanged by the end. So it's like, you know, we're not going to have him come back. So yeah, yeah I, I don't think this needs a sequel at all. Yeah. But um, if anything, I think that the they wrote the character, Powell's character, interestingly enough, that I'd love to know more about him and how he became who he was. Yeah, they should do like, like a Nurse Ratched show called Powell, where you just <laughs> you just see his life, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, kind of like what they did with uh, that Psycho show you watched. Yeah, Bates Motel. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that that's what Ratched is for One Flew the Cuckoo's Nest. Oh, that's I see. I, I see. Saying. Oh, my bad. 
Um, I haven't watched that show, but it's it's out on Netflix. Oh, cool. You know, they didn't obviously didn't try to like franchise this out or anything like that. Especially in the fifties, that wasn't really a thing. Yeah. It's it's always kind of just kind of laid dormant, but. Apparently, in April of 2020, Universal announced that they were working on a remake of it. Hmm. But from all I can see, I haven't seen any word of it since then. Has very, been- very bold to announce that in April 2020. Yeah, I know exactly. <laughs> um, and so it was, it was literally as like they just like put a picture of Powell up on like Twitter and was like, "Who do you guys want to see cast as him in the new remake we're working on?" Hmm. And it's supposed to be take like, place in modern day and all this stuff. But I don't know. Maybe it'll be good, but. I don't really care. I, I like, don't. Yeah, I it's don't. not really a story. I feel like the time it was yeah, in. Yeah, like I don't need the new Powell like talking about like kids on social media. Like you know what I mean? Like yeah. oh, the souls are getting getting enhanced on TikTok. You know, like I just I don't need it, man. Like <laughs> enhanced on TikTok. I, I don't know what that means. So they might be working on this uh, prequel or sorry remake, but from all I can tell, I don't know. Might be dead in the water. Like, so many projects end up yeah. just dying without anybody hearing about I, it. I think there's just so many untold stories that we really don't need to be remaking stuff. I mean, this was this story was rooted in a book, right? Like, there's so many books out there. Like, let's find yeah. some new material. And, yeah, and it was just and it's just based on a real fucking person. You know, it's all right. bananas. But, yeah, that's that. Cool. So to wrap up, just some of my final thoughts and really just, really just to base it around, like, kind of the character of Rachel again. And why, why I think this movie is so unique is when I was mentioning earlier that it kind of challenges traditions of, 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 like, American kind of values and norms. Where a lot of movies in the 50s, you would never go against the idea of the nuclear family or questioning the church. Like, all those were, were good things and stories were, like, promoting that. And I just find this movie interesting because without beating you over the head with it or, like, preaching it... A character like Rachel, who doesn't live any kind of traditional life, she's not married, she doesn't have any kids of her own, she lives alone, and then she raises a bunch of kids alone in a time where people couldn't even believe you could raise one kid without a mother and a father. Mm. They just thought it was so weird that there's no way you need a man and a woman to properly raise a child mm-hmm. like in this world. And here's this other lady who's doing it completely on her own and... <laughs> going against all like you know we had a traditional nuclear family and it turned out that the mom was kind of crazy and the dad was a criminal you Mm -hmm. know so it's like (laughs) it's every time we see these kind of people who are so traditional they end up kind of causing these different issues or having repressed problems and all that and then when you throw all that out the window and just look at someone's character that's when you see the best character in the movie and the most emulatable absolutely you said this movie came out in 55 yeah it kind of is empowering you know as a being a woman in the 50s i feel like this is a cool role to see yeah and sort of gives you a sense of you know i could be strong and independent yeah and that's what i'm saying like it really surprises me that the character of Rachel's not in the same conversation as Sigourney Weaver yeah. from Alien. Like, like everyone always talks about like how breakthrough that character was, and it was. But there's other examples of it mm. in, in Hollywood, you know. Like, and it's just like I think this is one of the coolest portrayals of that, and it it's and it serves the story purpose. It's not just mm-hmm. like some. It's not just done for no reason, you know. Yeah. So I I just yeah I love that. That's awesome. But some, I was not expecting that shotgun. Yeah, that's like great shock factor. <laughs> yeah, she was great. And so, Masha, mm. when picking this week's movie, uh, I had a lot of thoughts going through my head of why I think you might love this movie. To piggyback off earlier, I definitely started this by connecting it with The Good Son, where it just, for some reason, it's a, a completely different story, obviously, but the idea of 
kind of a story about good and evil centered around children. That was kind of what, mm. what connected me to that. And so since I figured you loved Good Son, I could kind of maybe tap into some of that. And other than that, I mean, I knew the character of Rachel was going to excite you, you know, just like as, you know, as a woman watching movies to see that kind of portrayal in the 50s, everything we just talked about. Like I knew those were going to be points. But overall, I just, I know you wouldn't have a huge amount of experience with kind of old Hollywood and, and too many old movies. So I wanted to kind of show you something that I think stands out above everything else. And is just very visually striking and different than most other movies you might think of when you think of old Hollywood. I know a lot of people I talk to who don't watch a lot of movies when I try to get them to watch something pre-1970. Like they always just talk, tell me how like it just seems like kind of flat and boring. And I don't know if they use those words, but like. Just like they just say there's not a lot of movement or action. And, you know, nowadays we're cutting a lot more. We're doing a lot more angles. Mm -hmm. And older movies tend to be a lot lot quieter, bigger wide shots, you know, shot more like plays a little bit. And so I knew this one kind of stood out where they fucking took the visual medium and really ran with it and just tried to make everything as visually striking as possible. And similar to like the way I said with Grease where... You know, you can choose stuff like a play anytime you want and get beautiful performances from actors and get a bunch of good stuff. But when you take that extra element that film gives you, which is like a camera isn't a person, so you can put it, those eyes anywhere, anywhere you want. Yeah. you got to utilize that. And I think Charles Lawton, the DP, all these people who made this movie just fucking put their heart into it. And it's it's just an interesting kind of complex little story. Uh, and then, you know, it ends with a bunch of sweetness at the end. So I thought maybe that would get you too. <laughs> But yeah, having said all that and gave you my reasons of loving it, Masha, do you love what I love? I love it. I am totally fascinated, as I think you are too, about stories led by kids. Yeah. Because, you know, it's interesting to see how they tackle things, the choices that they're going to make, especially when there's so much on their shoulders. So I thought that this movie, I I think I'm going to echo everything you said, like what you said about John and the balance between good and evil and how that's represented in this movie was very, a very interesting take. And like you said, it's not batting you over the head. I really thought that the approach to what they were trying to say was so clever and so awesome that I truly, truly appreciate it. Um, it's not going to be a love for me, but I do. I, I think that I think that I should know about this film. Like I'm yeah. sad that I didn't know about this film before last night. Yeah, I think this this should be cool. I, I, I <laughs> you know I, what I mean. I acknowledge everything you just said. <laughs> that totally get it. But yeah, I. I don't know why this isn't talked about up there with fucking King Kong, Wizard of Oz, Citizen Kane. It's just so many of these movies that are considered like Singing in the Rain that are considered like game changers. Yes. Like, I think this should be a game changer. I 100% agree. Especially like because it's not a traditional horror movie, but I think so much horror cinema is it comes is influenced by Absolutely. This. From the silhouettes to, I don't know, like it's or just... Or even just the character of Powell. Like we just, we didn't really yeah. have... Like, we did monsters. Like, that was, our, like, the 30s and 40s horror was very monster-based. 50s, it was very sci-fi-based. There was a lot of aliens. It was a lot of the killer bug from Attack of the 50-Foot Woman. Mm-hmm. Very sci-fi-based. It was always kind of monsters. And it was a little more rare to have, like, a human villain and then just and do it as good as well. You yes. know what I mean? I, I think 
that this is a classic villain. Yeah. This guy's awesome. And the one critique I do have is I don't think that the title matches the movie. No. At the end of the day. Night of the Hunter? I don't know. It doesn't all take place in one night. That's true. I don't, wouldn't really consider him a hunter. You mm. know what I mean? I mean... Like, yes. The kids of, escape on the boat and he literally hunts He hunts them, them down. Yeah. That's, I think that's the night they're referring to as that final night. Okay, okay. But also, it was the name of the book, so I don't know. Like, I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. I, I can't really, I can't, I'm not proposing a new title yeah. because I can't really think of one, but I just think that the title doesn't really encompass what this movie is. I think it. Could I'll agree be with you there, one. but I also think on its own, it's a pretty interesting it's, title yeah so like, I, I want to know like, i hear that i'm like oh i want to know what that's about yeah you know? I, I think it's a little misleading yeah. though all right fair enough yeah but i i think it was a really great film and i'm really glad you brought it onto this cast yeah i think you know i i have a feeling this is going to be one of our lower downloaded episodes because this movie is not as popular as some of our other ones but, but if be. we can get at least a couple of people to to watch this I, i'm i feel like i did my job <laughs> i helped charles lawton out nice <laughs> he's watching from up there <laughs> watching our podcast <laughs> oh god all right <laughs> all right folks so that is our show thank you so much for listening if you enjoyed our podcast please be sure to subscribe and tell a friend also if you have the time take a moment to rate and review every bit of feedback helps i'm masha and i'm andy and i hope you love what i love you